Welcome to Living the Dream, a hospitality podcast from La Dame Descoffier, New York. I'm Penny Stankowitz, an entrepreneur, sugar artist, chef, and a generally curious storyteller. Each week, we bring you stories and insights from personalities in the world of hospitality. Chefs, publicists, writers, and creators all share what it takes to build success. Whether in the early stages of your career and looking for a how-to guide, or an established pro looking to sharpen your superpowers, we lift the veil on the industry to give you an honest, practical guide to building a career and life you love. LDNY is an organization dedicated to supporting the careers of women in the hospitality field. I'm excited to introduce you to it and to today's guests, Jen O'Flanagan and Jennifer Lang, the current co-presidents of LDNY. But first, I spoke with Doms about what LDNY means to them. Here are Sylvia Baldini, Alexandra Leaf, and Michelle Lawton. I feel the Doms. It's the real deal. The Doms is incredibly accomplished women that became my tribe. <laughs> you know, you feel like when you are a real food person and you become part of this group, you feel part of the tribe and you feel part of a group of women that really knows what they're doing and they're going to change the world. It's like the sisterhood of behind the, the, all the bullshit. And I, I don't care if I say bullshit of the food industry. There has to be a solid, uh, real group of women that makes the world go round. And I think the Dams are, are those. And their mission is to really, I think, in the future to be inclusive, to be forward, to be modern, but to also look at traditions in the back and mix all of this together in into really a powerful group of women that can help other women advance. I had been invited to become a dom. It was just a surprise, like, hello, you have been invited to join this organization. And because it had Escoffier in the name, this is so amazing. They must have chosen me because of my 19th century French stuff. There were just a lot of women who I liked a lot. Like they were really interesting, fun people. With Les Dames, these were women really working in the industry. But I have kept up my membership because I think it's a great group of women. And I recognize that they care so much about the industry. And I think it's great, the whole scholarship program. They're really all about helping women. And so, you know, when I hand over my annual dues, it's like, I hope this goes to scholarship fund. And um, it's just so important to give back. Hi, I'm Michelle Lawton. I am the founder of Joyful Plate. We celebrate the joy that good food and beverages bring to our lives every day. And I'm a new member of La Dame Escoffier in 2020. Uh, with you, Penny, I'm thrilled to be here. I joined La Dame Escoffier uh, last year as a wonderful opportunity to join a community of like-minded, talented women that I hope to be contributing with the rest of my life. You know, my consultancy is primarily business, package design, market research, trends, and that's the day-to-day -day consulting. But really what makes me tick and what is the foundation of the consultancy is culture. Over the years, I had always heard about Madame. It was a mystery to me. And then when I learned about all the good 
that these women have been doing for over, I think, 45 years now globally to provide mentorship and empower women. I got really excited about contributing. And I think food is culture. Food is life. Food is touches everything. Art, fine art, film, music, politics, and you know, as we know, in, in this past year, uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, food is incredible to our well-being, to sustainability, to diversity, to climate change. So food just touches everything. And I think it's essential that we promote good food and good community. And my hope is to do that through the dom. Today's featured guests are Jen Lang and Jennifer O'Flanagan. Between them, they bring vast and varied experience in the world of hospitality to their posts as co-presidents of La Dame de Scoffier for 2021. They are visionaries looking to strengthen LDNY's long-held authority in the world of food and beverage while meeting the needs of a modern dom. Jennifer Lang's impressive career has spanned more than three decades in the hospitality industry, where she's held many positions, most notably as the managing director of Café des Artistes for 20 years. Jennifer is also a journalist who has written many newspaper and magazine columns on all things food and is the author of several books. With degrees and certifications from NYU, Columbia, Natural Gourmet Cookery School, and the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, Jenna Flanagan's vast knowledge and love of the world of food and wine inspired her to open Feast PR, a boutique marketing and communications agency skilled in crafting impactful digital and traditional brand building campaigns that support fine food, wine, and spirits brands. Jen, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here with me today on our first episode of Living the Dream. I'm really looking forward to learning more about La Dame de Scoffier and of course, talking to you both about your fantastic careers. Jen, can you tell me a little bit about La Dame de Scoffier? We're the New York chapter of the international organization La Dame de Scoffier International, founded by an amazing woman, Carol Brock, who wanted to push through that glass ceiling and was facing obstacles in the restaurant world by men at that time and decided that we needed an organization that would support women and help push them forward in their careers. I was speaking to Susanna Gold about another section of this podcast. She shared the story of the origin of LDNY. Les Dames d'Escoffier was founded in 1976 by Carol Brock because she found that there were no kind of dinner clubs for women. And there were all these dinner clubs for men who uh, created a dinner club called Les Amis d'Escoffier. So Auguste Escoffier was a famous French chef. But this dinner club, Les Amis, didn't include any women. And at the time that we're talking, when they had this dinner club, it was like Craig Claiborne and other really famous chefs. They didn't include Julia Child, if you can believe it. And so Carol decided to create, you know, kind of a la Blazing Saddles, make her own circle, right? So she had a dinner at the French consulate on November 8th in 1976. And she invited 50 of like the top chefs and women in the food industry. At the time, it was mostly food and hospitality, I think less the wine industry to this dinner. And that's how Les Dames was formed in 1976. And today we're 40 chapters in I think five countries. And it's just, you know, amazing. And our mission is of course, advocacy, philanthropy and education. And we do great things. We've given out 
$2 million in scholarships since 1977. And the women who won the scholarships tend in the future, maybe, you know, 10 years in, in their career, you know, be nominated to be laid down. So it's just a great organization that continues to grow. And I'm really proud to be a part of it. I became a member of LDNY in the summer of 2020. This was a little bit too late to get the opportunity to meet Carol Brock in person, but we do share a birthday, December 14th. And I'd like to think that we also share a certain type of very specific tenacity. And I'm honored to have a little bit of a special connection with this incredible woman. New York is one of the still groundbreaking chapters among all of them. And we're really happy to be leading it right now because we have such a group of dynamic women in our organization, 150 something, 20 something coming in this year in September. And the whole goal of our organization is to advocate and support inspiring women in hospitality, find wine and spirits and food to elevate their careers with the support of doms like us. Let me just say that all events are focused on bringing in fees that will benefit our annual scholarships. That is the reason d'etre. We're a 501c3 organization and, and, and proud to be able to focus anything that we do on getting funds to pay for young girls to go through culinary school and a variety of culinary schools. The New York chapter has always prided itself on being exclusive. It's, you get chosen, you're inducted and whatnot, and we're focusing on being more inclusive and bringing more women in, bringing more women in from an even more diverse array of backgrounds, I would say. And within that, we're focused on strengthening all of our programs. We have an array of passionate doms who contribute to our programs. What kind of programming does LDNY offer? So one of them that we're focused on bringing to the forefront a little more is called Green Tables, and it focuses on food and farming and health fantastic uh, program. All of our programs have been virtual this past year, as with many other organizations. We have monthly programs focused on food and wine where our doms can educate our doms, but also members of the public. Members of the public are welcome to attend our events. So the next big bite uh, is an annual event focused on uh, identifying trends in the food world, what's been going on in the past year and what, what they see going on in the next year. We do the same with the next big sip, which is focused on wine and spirits and beverages. And what about networking, right? Networking is a big Huge. component. Well, I think, was it your story, Jen, that, um, you know, that being able to get, we've had to do virtual, but being able to get together with people in a room with a bunch of important women who have important positions in the food, wine, and hospitality industries is, is awesome. When you're, when you're a new member or young or starting out or any part in your career to be able to just walk up to someone and talk to them about, or even pick up the phone too. But, you know, yes, I, I think that, that networking is a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. It's vital for our doms to interconnect and it's vital for those outside of our small circle to connect with those doms as well. Yes. And, and so Jen and I, one of the things that we, I mean, we agree on almost everything, but one of the things we really agree on is we want to, we want to be very practical. So one of our first events in January out of the box this year was an event on how giving women who it, it's all about sexual harassment and giving women actual tools that they could use. We had, you know, a lawyer talking about legal aspects. We had an HR expert talking about what you can do if you're in a corporation. We had a self-defense expert talking about kinds of things you can do. We even talked about things like if you're interviewing and looking for a new job, how would you determine what the what to what to ask in the interview in a way that doesn't put off the 
interviewer. That's the kind of thing that we're really excited to do because we, we want someone to have, you know, have something they can hold on to. And yes, we can all talk about Me Too and all the salacious aspects of it. But more importantly to me, what do we tell a young girl who's in the industry? How do we help her make her way without being debased? So for today's Tasting Notes, we have chocolates from Ronnie Sue Chocolates. Ronnie Sue is run by Rhonda Cave, who's been a dame for, I don't know, how many years? Long time. Um, and she sent us a whole selection of chocolates, and they're absolutely beautiful, and they're boozy, which was completely appropriate for us today. Then what do we have? Champagne. Perfect. That's the one that's a little bit shimmery on top. Next to that is portly fig. So I'm guessing that's port and fig. So mm. smart like that. Yeah and a Manhattan. Want us to try them? Yeah, yeah, try whichever one appeals to you. I'm starting with champagne because that's the kind of girl I am. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. I think I got the Manhattan. Mm. Oh, wow. So Good. creamy. It's absolutely delicious. And it's very so dark. Very, very dark. But not too dark at the same time. Yeah. What's your favorite? Do you prefer dark? I like it. I like white chocolate. Uh, like white chocolate? Bar. <laughs> I mean, even Hershey bar, but I, no, this is really good. Really delicious. No, they're delicious. And if we eat enough of them, we'll get a little buzz. So that'll be fine. Nice. Perfect. Old fashioned. That's what you order in a jazz club, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the port one's pretty boozy. Mm. All right. Oh my God. The old fashioned is really special. I can totally taste the booze. Oh, Ooh, <laughs> I got an accidental reputation for being boozy for the videos that I do with Epicurious because I put some booze in one one time. And then every time after that, they made me put booze in there to the one time that I didn't put booze in a recipe. And literally all the comments were, where's Penny? Save Penny. We have to bring her back. Is she okay? Which one was that? This is the uh, margarita. You know, I was expecting that these weren't going to be like so differentiated, but each one has its own personality. Wow. The margarita really stands out. Love it. Yeah. Whoa. I have a bad tequila history. Everybody has a bad <laughs> tequila history. I did a lot of TV um, tours all around the country to um, represent various, you know, companies and stuff. And I did one on behalf of Southern Comfort. So I was Ooh. in like, good morning, Milwaukee and wake up Atlanta and all those shows. And I was doing it for Southern Comfort. And every one of the people that was interviewing me was somebody who had had too much Southern Comfort in high school and got sick. <laughs> And they were like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to taste that. I was making eggnog, which is actually a fabulous thing to make with Southern Comfort, but I had a really hard time getting the host to try it, which was my job was to get yeah. the host to try the eggnog. Thank That's you so that. much, Rhonda, for these delicious chocolates. They're amazing. Amazing. Really good. Uh, Ronnie Sue Chocolates on Instagram, and she has a shop in New York City on Forsyth Street. And later on, when we have this posted to the internet, there'll be ways for you to find Ronnie Sue Chocolates. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, Ronnie. What a wonderful way to start a day, a little bit of booze. Just what the doctor ordered. Um, what was your first job? I was the first woman to cook in the kitchens of the 21 Club. Wow. Um, and uh, which, you know, was a, was a big deal. And it was slightly creepy because in those days, the 21 Club had a, a, a men's tailor shop on the top floor where all the men you know, the, the, the owners would have their shirts made and their, you know, suits done and so on. There's a tailor up there and I have to go up every morning because uh, I'm 
quite small and the pants that they had for me to wear were like, you know, a hundred sizes too big. So I had to get a big safety pin and like close my pants up so I could like work during the day. That was, that was just the beginning. How long were you there? I was there for about six months. It was my externship from the CIA, okay. but it was, it was, it was eye-opening, eye-opening. What do you mean? How so? Lots of men all speaking Spanish, talking about me. Um, you know, like one of my jobs in the morning was like, they asked me to go um, the corner of the main kitchen. I had to make 200 crepes every morning. I didn't really know how to make a crepe. So I would be standing there with my back to the entire kitchen. I'd flip the crepe and the crepe would fall on the floor or fall behind the stove or <clears throat> something awful. And then they would laugh at me and make comments in Spanish, which I pretended not to understand. And, you know, it was, it was gross. It was, it was, it was crude and rude the way restaurant kitchens always have been, hopefully not in the future. Do you think they're still that way now? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a visceral, it's a visceral profession. There's, I remember one of my teachers at the CIA said, you guys are all going to go out there. He was crude too. He said, you guys are all going to go out there and get jobs. And you're, you know, all of the people that you're in charge of are going to be like having sex in the stair stairwells and doing all these things. And you just have to be able to like corral these people. And I thought, what are you talking about? And then I went out in the field and figured it out. Wow. I wonder, do you think that the fact that more women are in leading positions in kitchens are changing that? I think that, I think that, you know, obviously we have greater numbers in the kitchens, but there's a very few head chefs or women. Um, there's a lot more women owned businesses. Um, but I think that the reason there aren't as many, there's lots of reasons, some nefarious and some not why women are not working in, in the back of the house. And I think a lot of it has to do with lifestyle. You can't really have a family. You can't really, you know, live an organized life at all. And a lot of women don't want to live like that. So yes, the, the harassment's part of it. I, I think that, you know, Me Too has helped a lot, but I think fundamentally there's kind of a, a, a disconnect between women's ambitions and what's available for them, how to fulfill them. When I went to pastry school in 2003, 2004, there seemed to be maybe two or three jobs you could have, right? You could work in a restaurant kitchen, maybe you'd get into a test kitchen somewhere, but those, the very few of those jobs, that wasn't really a viable option for a lot of people. Maybe you could go into a magazine if you got really, really lucky. And that was maybe a historian and that was pretty much it. Nowadays, there's a lot more opportunity to make very different careers about this. And I'm wondering if you might think that because those jobs didn't suit what women wanted from their life that we actually created them. I think the market opened up a lot because there's a need for bodies. I mean, COVID's changing a lot, has changed a lot of this uh, fundamentally, but you, know, you can't overlook a pool of job applicants who are qualified and, and not answer their needs. So I think that, uh, yes, women are, are changing, but... Um, changing the profession, but also the profession is changing itself. Each decade has its own ups and downs, but it's a really tough business. I mean, the restaurant business I'm talking yeah. about. As an instructor at ICE, I often get young women who ask me questions. How do you deal with this? This person's touching me, this person's saying this, this person's doing that. And they, they're looking very much for answers and practical ways of handling that. Do you have advice for that. I think that's one of the things that Jen and I are very, very anxious to do is to give people practical 
women, doms and, and other women in all aspects of the profession, whether it's in a kitchen or front of the house or magazines or uh, beverage industry, I, we want to give them practical tools to use to try to fight that stuff in a way that doesn't harm their careers, you know? Um, and we've already done that in a few different ways. And, you know, if you're working for a big company, you can say, go to HR and, and talk to them about it, but then you're going to, they're going to take it out on you, whether, you know, somebody with a, you know, a hot stove and a sharp knife in his hand is not <laughs> somebody you necessarily want to rile up. I'm not saying that to be funny, but I, I think it's a problem. So, you have to, you, being, being a boss means figuring out how situational ethics, you know, how are you going to advise someone? I would never advise someone to take abuse. I would always try to figure out a way to get around it so that you're not suffering. And that means different things for different people. Jen, what was your first job? Nowhere near as interesting. (laughs) I grew up on Long Island. So I think one of my first jobs as related to the food industry was working in a bagel shop um, in my town and discovering the Bialy for the first time, you know, and discovering all the different, you know, whitefish salads and things like that, that I had no clue about being a sheltered Catholic girl, you know? So I'd say that, that was my small, you know, my small food dip into the food world. And then from there I went and I worked in the little grocery markets. I ended up studying nutrition. So I worked in the kitchen of a nursing home for a while, worked at a weight loss center. So it kind of, I gradually moved up and up and up through different areas of the food world until I got into marketing and public relations. Was there a goal? Did you have a plan? Yeah, I studied nutrition. I thought to myself, I'm really interested in health and nutrition. I grew up a family in a family of doctors and my dad was old school. He didn't really believe in the connection between nutrition and health, whereas I did, you know, and so I ended up studying nutrition in college. From there, the, you know, I, I just placed myself in jobs that would help me learn more. But ultimately, I realized that the nutrition field was not for me when I was on a school field trip to the CIA in Hyde Park. And a whole, uh, there was about 10 of us sitting around a table and they put, I remember the first thing they did was put this bread basket down, beautiful array of breads and nobody at my table wanted to try the bread. And I remember looking at them like they were all crazy and realizing that I did not belong with them because, you know, I was so focused on the enjoyment of food and learning about food and they were more calorie and health oriented. So that was the beginning of the divergence of my path. And how did you make the switch to PR? I made the switch to PR because I ended up going to NYU and did my master's in food studies. And I was very interested in marketing, the creative aspect of promoting foods. And I was also, again, as I said, interested in learning, you know, about the producers, their, their way of growing the food and, you know, the regional aspects of it. So I just kind of dovetailed into marketing and PR came along with it. And one of my first jobs out of grad school was with a dom. Her name is Lila Galt. And she was fantastic. And she really held my hand and, and led me in the right direction. And I started to meet an array of amazing women in the food field who just, I remember just being agog and so impressed at, you know, how supportive they were of each other and just how strong they were and, and focused on their careers. So mentorship then, that was a big, that was a big part of your success, do you think? Yeah, I think I, I had a number of women, yeah, supporting me along the way. Absolutely. And and I recognize that because when I speak to women like Jennifer, who worked on the restaurant side of things, where they had a lot more struggles in terms of, you know, the sexism and whatnot, I didn't face that. I had a little bubble, you know, in the PR and marketing world where I worked with groups of women, supportive women. So it was a very different experience. 
what inspires you? Why do you, why do you still love food after all of this time? I got into the food business because I absolutely adore food and it's, I'm in, in endlessly fascinated by every aspect of food and I, my first goal was to become a food journalist and it was in the days when you could go to college and learn how to write but know nothing about food or you could learn about food and not know how to write there wasn't there there were no food journalism programs available every summer every every summer vacation every christmas vacation throughout entire high school and entire college i was a reporter on the local south bend tribune you've heard of it right South, <laughs> South Bend, Indiana. So I, and I, and I was the editor of my college paper. I mean, I, I was all about writing. And then I really came to New York and I got a couple of journalism jobs. And then I was like, I love food. And I took classes from, you know, James Beard and Jacques Pepin and a lot of, from Marcella, a lot of famous people who became famous later, who were just like cooking out of their kitchens. And I, I loved it. And I said, I have to do something with this. I want to write about food. So that's why I went to the Culinary Institute. So what inspires me is the same thing that's always inspired me, which is like intense intensity of sourcing ingredients and finding really interesting things to make and making them and just, you know, deep dives into crazy areas of, of not only techniques, but cultures and, you know, cooking elaborately all the time. So that was my inspiration. Then it's my inspiration now. Jen, what's your inspiration? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, my thoughts mirror Jennifer's in some respect. I mean, I grew up, I was known, so I grew up in a family of five kids and I was known as the one that always wanted to eat. I was the foodie in the family. They're like Jenny and her food, you know? Um, so it just kind of, it's funny how I just follow, ended up following that path in, into the food world. And I, my thoughts echo Jennifer's. I love, I love the exploration of different foods, different flavors. And it, it, a lot of the time it does absolutely go back to learning about the regions, learning about the cultures and how, you know, food plays a part in that. I love tasting and exploring, mm. but I also love learning about the history and the culture and the region along with it, where, where a dish comes from, where wine comes from, or anything else, the process, you know, it's, it's multifactorial. It helps keep it interesting, right? Because there's just so many places it can always go. There's always something else to learn in it. Yeah. It's endless. It's it endless. Is. Absolutely endless. There are many countries I know nothing about their food. I would love to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's what travel's great for too, right? That's the best travel. way to sense it. Remember travel? Yeah. <laughs> one, one food person that doesn't love to travel. You know, <laughs> Jen, you definitely pivoted, right? There was, you, you thought you were going to go in one direction with nutrition and then you went in another. Did that take her courage for you or was it an easy choice? Uh, it's funny that that was an easy choice before that, before nutrition, I had actually been studying nursing for a few oh. years. And so that was more of a choice to go into nutrition than from nutrition into marketing and PR, because to me, it felt like a natural segue. I was, I was happy to go that way and go deeper into food and culture. What about you, Jennifer? Have you ever had an issue where when you wanted to pivot and it was a challenge for you? Yes. So big one. So I was a food journalist for 15 years. I wrote uh, many books and I wrote, I had columns in newspapers and magazines and, and wrote a lot of freelance and stuff. And then in 1990, I took over the restaurant that my husband owned that I had not been involved with, but it was called Cafe des Artistes. And it was one of the most popular restaurants in New York City for 30 odd years. Always in the top 10, super, super well-known, world, world-renowned world restaurant. So I took it over 
not from him. He'd never been in operations, but he'd always had an operations director. So I, uh, he was the patron, he liked to call himself. And he was the, the big idea guy. And it was his, his imagination that made it as successful as, as it was. But you need a nuts and bolts person. So I became the managing director of that restaurant. And I did that for 20 years. And I, uh, it was, there's no bigger pivot than in the business that I can imagine than from what I was doing to what I did do. I went to, from a, in a, in a business where you, you know, you write a book and you wait many months or years for it to come out. And then you wait for the reaction or you write an article and you, so on in a restaurant, you feed somebody something and they're going to tell you immediately within (laughs) minutes, whether they like it or not. So it was a very different. And also everything that I'd learned at the CIA in, in my training there was, um, all theoretical and all of a sudden it was no longer theoretical and it was like wow it was it was huge it was big and how'd you handle it i handled it well because i did it didn't break me let's say let's put it that way um but you have to factor in that that we were one of in new york city there are fewer than 20 independently owned restaurants that have unions in them and we were one of those and so the union situation was particularly uh, nasty, uh, very nasty. So that was the part that was the most difficult. And I, it, as I say, it didn't break me at all. It was tough. And I, I, you know, you make decisions when you're in, in, uh, that kind of situation, you make decisions all the time and you just hope that they're the right ones. And I don't remember making any wrong decisions. Were people always nice to me? Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, especially in the union situation. So I think it was okay. I feel this, I feel a strength from you that I think is just sort of natural, right? Like, and you're in that, you're in that kitchen 21 club and you're dealing with all of that and you're just kind of chalking it up to, well, that's just how it was. And I dealt with it. And like, here you are. <laughs> how old were you when you were, when you first started running the Cafe Darius Artis? <laughs> Uh, how old was I? I think I might. I was in my thirties. I was in my thirties. So um, you probably had people who were twice your age working for oh, you, God, yes. and oh, you, yeah, know, yeah. you had to, you know, put on an air of authority oh, and yeah. make it all happen. And there's that requires a lot of strength. Yeah, I guess in retrospect, it's sort of like raising children. You just do it, and then later on, you go, "Wow, look, they're all normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, well, it worked yeah. out for the best." Yeah. yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, as I'm talking to more people, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a certain pattern that there's personality traits in us that are, are literally our building blocks to success, right? And so how much do you think sort of inherently who you are as a person, your personality traits contributed to the career that you de- developed in your success? Well, I mean, you make a good point. If I hadn't had a tough skin, I wouldn't have been able to survive that. I do, um, as it, after it was over though, I do, I, I remember thinking, I like myself a lot better now than I liked myself when I was doing this job because it makes you tough. It makes you, it's kind of a, a, a gnarly, it's, 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 you grow a skin, you know, you get, you have to, because it's, it's, and, you know, there's nothing more stressful than trying to run a successful business in New York City, you know, the top of the world, theoretically, in the food and restaurant field. I just was a much happier person after it was over. But when you're in the middle of it, you just do it. I felt the same way about my retail bakery. I just kept doing it. I I would have probably died doing it if the world didn't conspire to have it end, you know. But when I looked back and I finally did stop, I was like, okay, I hated that. 
I really hated that. It's totally not for me. I don't, I don't belong in retail. It's not my world, but it took doing it at, to be able yeah. for me to get on the other side of it and to realize I didn't. It wasn't fun. Let's put it that way. It certainly wasn't fun, but it was something I absolutely had to do because my husband owned the restaurant. It wasn't his main career, by the way, he was much more well-known for other things, but he, he was in love with this restaurant and this and so there was no choice but to make this a go, you know, to make it go. I didn't, I couldn't walk away from it. So that's why I say raising children is sort of the same thing. It's like, you know, you never have a, a you never have a good night's sleep uh, from with the moment they're born till, you know, the end of time. So it's the same with a, with a retail establishment or a restaurant. And you had kids, obviously, if you're doing that for 20 years, you had children at some point. I did. Doing and, I, and I had a... Um, our office was in the same apartment building where we lived. And I remember really early on, my son is now 34, I think. I, I hooked up a camera in my office with a wire, literally a wire that went up the elevator shaft, like a wire, it's hilarious, all the way up into my apartment, into his bedroom, so I could shine a camera on him after he went to sleep as an infant. I could see him in bed. And then as he got a little bit older, he had, he had play dates and his friends would come over and he could talk to me and I could talk to him. There was audio also. And he'd say, look, there's my mommy. And then I would talk to them through the, the microphone <laughs> and his little four-year-old <laughs> friends were like, ah, this is crazy. Anyway. You're like Oz. <laughs> like the yeah, voice pretty of Oz. much. Pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, I did. Great. Jen, what's your definition of success? Oh boy. Uh, that's. That's a complicated question. I think I'm still figuring that out, to be quite honest. Um, uh, my definition of success is, is absolutely having that work-life balance, you know, happy in what I do, being able to travel, you know, for my career and personally. I don't have a set number, like, I don't, I'm not one of those people that says I need to make this amount of income to be happy. You know, it's more about what I do, who I'm working with and on what, and then what kind of balance I have. Can I travel? Can I enjoy, you know, am I meeting interesting people, you know, and, and learning new things through them. It's just more of a holistic life that to me represents a success. Absolutely. What about you, Jennifer? Success in, in my relationships are, is the most important thing. Work aside. I've never been driven by status, professional status. I'm driven more in my personal relationships. Do you have any words of advice for young women who want to start off in the restaurant industry? I get asked all the time. <clears throat> I mean, it also depends if I meet a young woman who's, who's driven and really knows what she wants and so on. I, but I always try to explain because sometimes you meet a 22 year old who can't imagine getting married and having children. I know I keep, there's a theme of everything that I'm saying, but can imagine having to balance a family life with, with work. And I, so sometimes I feel like I need to kind of point that out. Look, if it's like anything, if somebody comes to you and said, I want to be a dancer on Broadway, you know, that's my, I've, ever since I was two years old and saw the red shoes, I've always wanted to go to be, dance on Broadway. And if you can't talk somebody out of that, if you can't give them a thousand reasons why they, why they, why they shouldn't do that and how hard it is and how you don't make any money and so on and so on, and they don't walk away, then that person has to do that. So if somebody comes to me, that's what I've always felt. If somebody comes to me and says, I just absolutely have to make chocolates. I mean, it's my, I, I, I spend seven hours a day just reading about it. I'm so immersed in this. This is so important to me. I've, all, I've wanted to do nothing else but this. If you can't 
you can't buy passion. You can't create passion. It come, if someone, someone comes with that kind of passion, I don't argue with it. If someone says, I want to be in the restaurant business because I like to go to restaurants and restaurants are cool. You <laughs> but know? they're fun. Everybody says yeah, that's fun. so fun. It looks yeah. like so much fun to party every night. Then I would, I might direct them elsewhere. But people with passion, you know, that's just, you, you know, you, I would, whenever that happens and I find someone like that, I guide them. I don't dissuade them. I think it's so true. And I think that that is, that is the key to success in this industry, which no matter which part of it you go into and what field you pursue, ultimately, this is not the kind of environment or work. It's not the kind of work you want to do if you don't love it. There's a lot of other easier ways in the world to make a living, right? So you have to be passionate. That's the key to success. Yeah, I agree. And also don't be afraid to be persistent and ask for help. Use your network. You know, I have a young producer that consistently reached out to me over the past couple of months asking for intros to other people. And I would put it aside, okay, I'm going to get to this later. You know, and she kept coming back and she kept coming back. And I was so impressed. I was like, you know what? I have to help this woman and, you know, let's get those emails out and introduce her, you know, just don't give up, you know, be persistent, find a way to, you know, find your path. On today's What I Wish I Knew, Susanna Gold shares a little wisdom about collaborations. Hi, I'm Susanna Gold. I'm the founder of Vignetto Communications. It's a boutique Uh, marketing and strategy firm. And what I wish I knew, had I known it as a younger woman, is that you need partners and alliances, and you should always look to partner yourself with somebody who has similar or complementary skills. They don't have to be your full-time partner, but you really need other people to help you get bigger clients. And that's a goal, I think, of anyone who has a firm, which I do as an entrepreneur. It's great to be a solo entrepreneur, but it's really great also to have colleagues and affiliates that you can count on when you get and pitch bigger projects. So that's something that I wish I knew as a younger person. Living the Dream is a hospitality podcast produced by LaDame Descoffier, New York, and Penny Stankowitz. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like, share, and review. Thanks to Jenna Flanagan and Jennifer Lang for sharing their stories and for introducing LDNY. You can find Jenna Flanagan at feastpr.com. Thanks to Rhonda Cave of Ronnie Sue Chocolates. She can be found at ronnie-sue.com, spelled R-O-N-I. Special thanks to Susanna Gold, Sylvia Baldini, Alexandra Leaf, and Michelle Lawton. You can find LaDonne Descoffier New York at ldny.org. You can find me at sugar-couture.com and on Instagram at sugar underscore couture or at penny.stakowitz. Our theme song and audio bites are created by music supervisor and composer DJ Cherish the Love, and our gorgeous logo designed by Lauren Nysenson of Sugar and Script. We're on all social channels at Living the Dream LDNY Podcast. Thank you.